You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning. I am back. Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida here. And I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma, and I'm so glad you're back. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 30th, episode 3255, brought to you today by Kemen Equine. Good morning, horse friends. It's Wednesday morning. That means Jamie and Glenn are back to talk horses with all of you. Well, let's be honest. Jamie talks horses. Glenn is just here to hassle Jamie. Enjoy the show. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, geez, it feels like a month since I've been here. Um, it has been. Oh, my gosh. You missed so much while, while I know. you were gone. I've been keeping caught up. Uh, thankfully, you do a million Facebook posts, so I can kind of keep ca- caught up on what's going on with you. Uh, but we do the have people a, need to know. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about all of that in a second. Uh, Sam Lockhart's going to be here today. He's Scottish, and he's going to tell us all about the riding of the marches in Scotland, which we've talked about before, but it's been a little while. Uh, Susan Gary is an animal science agent with the University of Delaware Cooperative Extension. She's going to talk about the Mustang that she actually got from Ashley, who trained it for the Mustang makeover. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday, so that'd be cool. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. So we'll talk to her today. And then uh, you have some weird news? Uh, Yeah, one or two. All right, good. We'll try and do The world is still weird, Glenn. (laughs) We'll try and do a quick post show and get caught up as well, because I haven't talked to Jamie either. Uh, But we're back. We survived. Ocala got lucky last night. The storm stayed about 50 miles off the coast, and that was just enough for us to miss most of it. We had a little wind and a little rain, and that was it. So everybody was prepared. I got to tell you, the horse people in Ocala were prepared. They filled the World Equestrian Center in one day. And then, uh, you know, everybody was hunkered down and ready, and fortunately this thing just stayed off the coast because by the time it hit up in... In uh, what I call the armpit of Florida, uh, up in the, the Big Bend. That's a very <laughs> yeah. applicable name, actually, it's up in kind, there. It's kind of. Uh, it, it's hitting up there right now and doing bad damage from what I've seen from the live reports. Mm. It hit as a Category 4, so the thing kept growing. And it looks like your home state's going to end up getting worse than Florida. Man, Georgia's getting crushed right now. So uh, thoughts uh, to all the people in like eastern Alabama, southwest Georgia. It's head looks like it's heading up towards Atlanta. So y'all hang on. Yeah. So good luck to everybody up there and uh, to all of our Cala friends and, and Florida friends down here. Uh, we dodged a, another one. But you know, hurricane season's not over. So, and I also want to give, uh, I'm going to give an early daily Winnie. I want to make sure she hears this to Heather, who, uh, is one of our terrific auditors. And she allowed us to bring the horses over there. She has a beautiful facility. I don't know if you saw the vi- video, but it's very nice. And the horses, uh, Scooter and Nigel were all tucked in the safe stalls. And we stayed at her place last night. And she lives in this concrete block house that I didn't hear a thing from outside. Um, but we were there in case of anything happened to help her out. And Jennifer's still over there helping her out. So it's crazy. Like I, I think of the world in from Scooter's perspective sometimes yes. because he he's like starving to death in this field, and now he's like in some mansion. Yeah, like he's like, what <laughs> happened to my life? <laughs> Scooter's had a life. He certainly has. But and it, for those that don't know, that's my rescue hackney pony who's now been with us for almost nine years. 
So hard to believe. All right. Well, let's do some daily winnies and get on with the show. It's Auditor Emily Kettler's birthday today, so happy birthday to Emily. And and also, I heard you, you mentioned yesterday when I talked to you that we had a bunch of new auditors, so welcome to all of you, too. We're happy to have you on board. Uh, shout out a Daily Winnie to our listener, Lynn Popa, who sent me Hi, a Lynn. really lovely gift in the mail that was so sweet. She sent me a... Um, you know, I collect the Kentucky Derby glasses, but I didn't even know they had these. The Breeders, the Breeders Cup has a series of glasses, so she sent me one that she, uh, I don't know, found somewhere, I guess. And and anyway, I love it. Thank you very much. And I saw we haven't had a chance. You also got a puzzle from one of our favorite people that contributes every Friday. Yes, Laureen Barden. I got my puzzle, and she picked just wonderful photos to put. On. I don't know what I what what why you guys are so kind to send us presents, but <laughs> I, I just love it. I would also like to remind you all that I do get in trouble every time a package comes. <laughs> so oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it because he was yesterday. He was like, "What did you buy?" I'm like, "I don't even know what this is." <laughs> Lucas will have fun helping you put it together. He'll have fun with that. And I think he was one of the pictures in there, too. So Yeah, it was great. It was great. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to send a new barn, we're going to be putting one of those up in the next couple months. You can – I'll give you the address. Just write to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good luck. Take care of that. Our land is being cleared right now, by the way. Zach is working. By the Um, weather? You didn't get the free clearing? Both. uh, He started working last week. We went over and he got about a third of it done. And then we were hoping that the storm would hit a little closer and we could save some money. But apparently not. Zach has to keep working. So hopefully by next week, our land will be cleared and he'll be planting grass. So we're hoping that happens anyway. That's awesome. Last time you and I, you and I actually talked on the show, you were heading to Kentucky, and then all of a sudden, the next time we talk, the horse has already been delivered to your house. Dude, this is so <laughs> great to have like get a horse in Kentucky. There's so many shipping companies there that Bob Hubbard is based there, and they're like, "Yeah, we can do it. Pick him up in three days." Like, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing, and I love that company. So they shipped him out. I adopted him, and in the meantime, you'll have to go back and listen to the exciting adventure I told on yesterday's show of getting this little buckskin named well. Come to find out, his name is Maverick. Oh so my I god! Did, That's I know. appropriate. I know. I did some brand. So I get this horse. I bought him because he he was like in the scooter world of like needed. He needed me, and I I paid more for this old crippled buckskin than I paid for American Hustle. Okay, no, <laughs> so, yes. I only paid two hundred bucks for scooter. You were I got robbed, robbed. but yes. you have to go back and listen. Yesterday, I couldn't leave him. I could not leave him there, and so I just I had to have it. I mean, he needed me, and then American Hustle was at New Vocations, and I I I had to have him. He's like, oh, well, the there was coolest. no doubt when you told us on the show that you were getting that horse. I did. Well, I went in with a, I don't need this horse. Maybe he's going to be something special. And then I got there and I was like, I really don't need it. And then my friend Larissa was with me and she's like, you're an idiot if you don't take this horse. So that's how that worked. Um, (laughs) So I ended up getting him and I actually, he's quite body sore. And I mean, I rode him at new vocations, just very lightly, just got on in two point and trotted him around and he was great. Um, But 
he needs basically a couple months because he he raced like less than a month ago. He had a published work like he was very, very busy. And what's really cool, Glenn, is this horse, American Hustle, was owned by Bobby. I Flay. know. Does that mean he's coming on? Have you booked him? I haven't booked him yet, okay. but. I did, because, you know, that guy has a lot of horses. I mean, a lot of race horses, and you wonder how much they know about the horses that they have and how special. But I started Googling American Hustle, and I came up with an article that is somebody's interviewing Bobby Flay about his racehorses. And they were like, do you breed a lot? Do you? He was like, I've got about 12 broodmares and I only breed to like the top stallions. But also I did just buy three American Pharaoh babies. Uh-huh. This is like the article said, and two of them we've sold already, but I've got this great horse called American Hustle. And I'm really excited. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's my horse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and how long was it after that that they uh, sent that one out for adoption? <laughs> Bless his heart. I, I think I can outrun him. Uh, <laughs> you first, you sure could. So, yeah, he's really cool. And so I got him out today. And, you know, Farm Boy was with me. And I had him up in the stall. And I brought him out and put him in the cross ties. And he immediately I started grooming him just really gently because his back's so little sore muscle-wise, you know. And I'm grooming him. And. And and farm boy's just like standing there, and he's like, "This is, this is crazy, this is crazy." And I'm like, "What's crazy?" He was like, "This, this is, this is a giant fit three year old racehorse who literally just fell asleep in the cross ties. It is the chillest horse I have ever had. I I can't even and believe that's why he's not racing anymore. <laughs> exactly. And apparently, this is very common for American Pharaoh offspring to be really really calm because i guess he's really easy to handle and everything too so it, breed more of those because we need more for sport horses that are that <laughs> way um yeah it's really cool and then uh the little buckskin maverick i hopped on him this morning and just rode him around the round pen just for a minute in a bareback pad and he is exactly what I needed. Just a one-handed, so I I can pony a horse while I'm riding him. He neck reins. He's just kind of like this kind of old, like, old, well, he's 15, but he's kind of an old soul and just like, mm, womp, womp, like, just really, really chill. But, like, scared, you know, scared of everybody because he was with some big, tough Oklahoma beer drinking, rope and throwing, I don't know, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. But Glenn, I talked a little bit on Monday. The reason I know his name is Maverick is because I, he has a brand mm. and I, there's a Facebook page for everything. So I went on to horse brand Facebook page or horse brand identification, took a picture of it, posted it in there. In five minutes, I had the owner in my private messages and I'm messaging back and forth. And they were like, oh yeah, that's Maverick. That's And I was like, oh my God, his name is Maverick. It's perfect. So really cool. I'm super excited. That's Chad's horse now, officially. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to give Chad another How's horse. Chad doing about all this anyway? Man, I'll tell you what, Glenn. If I got a dog or a cat or a goat, I mean, he would be so mad. I mean, he literally almost left me because of the parakeets, right? So he was so mad about that. And then when when I I went and got American Hustle where I was talking about it. He's like, just go see him. Go tomorrow. You can just go tomorrow. I was like, who are you? Like what? He so he play golf. Yeah, probably. <laughs> he did buy a motorcycle. And yeah, yesterday he was walking around the barn like, 
like walking around the farm, breaking in his new motorcycle boots. I was like, <laughs> it's just like horses. He's walking around these giant, That's funny. giant boots, like breaking him in. Yeah. So it is what it is. And, and the horse is really nice. And he seems supportive about it. But again, he doesn't have to. He doesn't pay for the horses. He doesn't have to well, do anything it, with the horses. No, it's a little different than it was before, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I am definitely a bit overhorsed with borders and my own personal horses. And, and so it's a little... I'm like, I brought them all in today and I was like, oh, you know how you usually have... If you have seven stalls, you have eight horses? Yeah, you have ten. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's 11 horses here and I have seven stalls. So I was like... Oh, God. Time to get that shed built. (laughs) Where am I putting everybody? (laughs) Very good. Yeah, it's it's fun. Everything's going to work out. It'll all be fine, Glenn. It'll all be just horses. It's just horses. I mean, I've got enough hay. They don't eat or poop. You're you're fine. I know. And, you know, I've got this really awesome update for you. Okay? Are you sitting down? Do you remember my, of course, you remember my makeover horse, the horse Groot, who his name is Lost My Way. Groot, who I took to the thoroughbred makeover, competed in freestyle and eventing, did some mounted archery on him, competed, and I brought him back here and I competed him a little bit more. And then I sold him to somebody who didn't take care of him. Somebody else bought him and they brought him back to me to train. So I had him here, I retrained him, restarted him, sent him off to these people. Well, the girl who, it was a teenage girl who who has him, um, is going off to college. And so they were like, they called me, they were like, we don't know what to do. She's going off to college. Can you buy him back? And I'm like, I, I no, the I can't. Third time. <laughs> yeah, I can't t- buy him back for the third time. It's like a like the other, it, it, they all come back. And so he, you know what the, he did yesterday? Yesterday. He became a member of the Texas Tech equestrian team. Oh, good for him. I'm so excited. That's so cool. They're always looking for good horses. Yeah, they're so excited. They were like, this horse has done all of this and you're donating because you get a tax deduction. Yeah. This guy's a businessman. He's like, yeah, I'll send him to to Texas Tech. And that's where his daughter's going to college. Oh, that's so perfect. it's just perfect. It's so perfect. I'm so excited. So that's a good, good, for good story. It's always nice to... It's nice and tough to continue to keep in touch with people who buy your horse because it's great being that you can keep track of them, but it's also sometimes heartbreaking when you can't help. And I've helped as much as I could. And he now is at Texas Tech and I'm just so pleased. He sent me pictures of him yesterday and then in the big fancy barn and just awesome. I'm so excited. Well, why don't you tell us about Kemen while I get our first guest on. It's Sam Lockhart, press officer at the Edinburgh Riding of the Marches. And we were over there a couple of years ago during the time of the Riding of the Marches, and that's where we learned about it. Since 2021, Equa Summit has attracted hundreds of attendees looking to unlock gut health and stress solutions for their horses. The third annual Equa Summit virtual learning event is right around the corner, taking place September 5th and 6th. Join us as experts from the industry and academia tackle important equine health issues such as leaky gut syndrome, insulin dysregulation, stress management, and exercise physiology, and other horse health and nutrition topics. Whether you're a roper, a venter, farrier, veterinarian, hobbyist, hobbyist or beyond, you'll find Equisummit has something for you. Don't let this opportunity ride away. Register today for free at attendequisummit.com and join us live September 5th and 6th. That's at attendequisummit.com. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, Glenn. Nice to have me on. Thank you. You were on a couple years ago with us, and I think that was after we made our trip to Edinburgh and learned all about the Riding of the Marches, but it's been a couple of years, so kind of refresh everybody's memory what the Riding of the Marches is. So the Edinburgh Riding of the Marches is an ancient custom that dates back to at least 1579. And this was an Before act we were a country or even thought about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's so true. And this was an act where in those days we obviously had to defend our land and our cities quite a lot. Um, and in those days there used to be a team who used to ride on horseback around the boundaries of the city of Edinburgh just to check for any encroachment or raiders, but also to check that the landed gentry were not trying to build on the common land that belonged to the common people. So this act went on for a number of centuries and then gradually started to fizzle out in around sort of 1718. And that's because they had a sort of police service from those days, uh, which had started to patrol the city and really put the job of riding the marches um, on the shelf so it didn't need to be done. So this is what we reenact. We try and bring back this fantastic custom once a year. And it happens always in August, it's kind of the same time as festival that you have there in Edinburgh and also the tattoo, right? It kind of all happens at the same time. Yeah, so actually it, it actually takes place on the second Sunday of September. Okay. And the reason being is that part of our, our celebration and our event is also commemoration because we actually bring in a lot of history to do with the Battle of Flodden, which took place on the 9th of September, 1513, because part of our ceremonial aspect and part of our route actually does cross part of the Flodden Wall of the old parts of the Flodden Wall, which are still standing in different parts of Edinburgh. And so what happens exactly? What happens on that day? So the day is a long day, and we get a team of people arriving about half past six, and riders start arriving at about seven. And we get everybody mounted up. Now, these riders have come from all over Scotland. Uh, we have lots of visitors from the States. We have lots of Aussies that come as well. And we have about 280 horses that wow. collect in the morning. <laughs> now, that's a very specific number, and the reason is is because our licensing, which we have to have ticked off by Edinburgh Council, only permits 280 horses to be contained on the Royal Mile for our uh, for our event. Because you, well, the Royal Mile, of course, is right through the middle of town. It right. Starts at the castle and ends at the palace, basically, right? That's right. So these horses, they congregate in the morning. um, And what we do is we very um, luckily have access to some of the land that still goes around the south part of the city. And we have some very kind landowners which allow us to take these riders on basically a morning of high velocity gallops. And we have a series of routes that we take. And at this time of year, all the crops have been cut or nearly cut, which allows the horses to gallop across these fields because there's just stubble remaining on the fields. So this is a really thrilling occasion in the morning. And another thing that this really helps with is it actually starts to take the edge off the horses, starts to tie them out a little bit. Because as you imagine, having them all coming up the Royal Mile, you want everybody behaving and just be nice and chilled and, you know, no chaos. 
So the morning not only reenacts the riding of the boundaries of the city, but it also acts as a purpose for really letting these horses let off steam. Mm. Okay, because it is uphill too, right? You're riding up the hill or down the hill? So when we get to the Royal Mile later on in the afternoon, we ride from the bottom to the top. So at the bottom, you've got Holyrood Palace. Right. And at the top, you've got the castle. And we ride about three quarters of the way up. And we come to a halt just next to St. Giles Cathedral, Mm -hmm. which is this enormous, beautiful cathedral. And if anybody was watching the the Scottish section of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's funeral in Scotland, that is where they held her coffin um, for 24 hours before carrying on down towards London. So you do all of this. I assume that if there wasn't the restriction on 280 horses, you'd have 1,000. Do you know what? We, we we could. We could sell out this event over and over and over again. Um, we put up rider places for ticket sales from April, and we are usually sold out within about three weeks. It's, <laughs> it's pretty swift. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it is a unique experience, and I know some of our listeners that listened the last time went over and did it then. Um and they, they talked about having done it. Now, is this the only riding of the marches, or are there others that happen around Scotland as well? So this is actually quite a common custom that takes place in the Scottish borders. And it's actually, there's a slightly different term which is used called common riding. And the word common basically describes the common land that belongs to the common people, so not the landed gentry. And... You know, in the 15th, 16th, 17th century, they really had to work quite hard, and especially in the Scottish borders, being so close to the border with England, to really protect their land from encroachment. So you get it all, all year round from pretty much April till September. Our event is the last one of the year. And you had that's called common riding season. Now, some of these towns, such as Selkirk, um, Duns, Jedburgh, Uh, Kelso, they have these fantastic festivals, events and celebrations of common riding and riding the marches. And these customs have been taking place for decades and decades and decades. And it's absolutely part of their families. It's part of their blood. They absolutely love it every year. And it's a huge, big celebration for all the towns that hold their common rides. That is so cool. It's something you would never find over here. I mean, that's got to be kind of unique to Scotland. Yes, it's very unique to Scotland. And interestingly enough, there is also a riding of the marches in Orkney, and that's really, really high up on the very, very north side of the north coast of Scotland. So rather interestingly, they do have a riding of the marches in Orkney. Um, they also have an on foot riding the uh, an on on foot riding the marches in Lilithgow, which is a big, beautiful town just to the west of Edinburgh, and they have a beautiful palace there. Um, and they tend to do their route um, on foot, and they do have some carriages as well that take place. Now, I assume this is a big tourist attraction in Edinburgh that day, or uh, a lot of people come out and watch. Yes. So in 2019, we had a man with a very clever gadget, which does digital crowd counting, and he clocked our crowd at (laughs) 25,000. 
<laughs> and that's not a, you know, it's a tight street. So 25,000 people lining that street is a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of people. And it wasn't just, um, you know, tourists. It wasn't people that just happened to be in Edinburgh. We had some local residents as well. So it's really, really nice. So now uh, my wife and I have been over to see the Royal Tattoo. We got the Sea Festival. Um, and now we need to go over for this. You do. You know, it's it's the most amazing experience, both to ride in it and just to simply watch it as well. And the lovely thing is, is really what the Edinburgh Riding the Marches does or what we really try to achieve. We, we're a group of volunteers that have a committee. and We, we organise this ourselves and we have to fundraise for it in order to, to pay for it to take place is that we want to keep the event free for spectators so that it becomes more of a civic event that, you know, the people of Edinburgh can enjoy and celebrate and learn about and really celebrate their history. You know, Edinburgh is so full of incredible history. And this is one of those really unusual events that largely a lot of people who've been born and bred in Edinburgh really have no clue about. So it's really nice sort of passing on that information and getting people to come and witness it because until you've seen it, you really don't have any idea. Well, and it also gets horses in front of people. You know, we're, we're losing that everywhere in the world, you know, where people have any exposure to horses at all. Um, so I'm yes. glad of that, too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and interestingly, so many locals come and line the streets on parts of our routes in the morning and then in the afternoon as we make our way to the city centre. And they come out and cheer the horses on. And that really is a big highlight for, for young and old. Um, and it really, you know, even if they're not necessarily understanding what the event is about, having horses pass your front door in inner in city Edinburgh is obviously just never takes place and and what's really nice is when we get to the royal mile and the ceremony is taking place we basically box in all the horses so they're held in a certain sort of event event arena as it were between Northbridge and Southbridge and during that time you have members of the public and the crowds and spectators reaching forward and desperate to stroke noses of horses <laughs> and they're really up close and personal to them and you know what it's like when you're a horsey child and this is the most amazing thing in the world. It's the most amazing animal in the world and you just want to be close to them. And, and all of us horsey people, we know that affinity. We, we understand that bond that we have. But for people who don't have access to horses, we, we hopefully create these really, really special moments for people. Is there a website people can check out? Yes, it is www.edinburghridingofthemarches.com. Very good. So check it out if you want to go watch. Or, you know, I, I, inv I say to everyone I meet, you have to go to Edinburgh at some point in your life. It is just one of the most unique cities. Everybody's friendly. The food is great. The alcohol is good, really good. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> and you just want to check it out. And and if you can get there and see the Royal Tattoo or the Riding of the Marches or or even Festival, if you can see any of those things while you're there, that's just a bonus. But it, it, you have to go Absolutely. check it out. You, you have to do. Go to and, and, of, and, of course, so many people that visit uh, Scotland, one of their biggest things on their list to tick off is to see Highland cows that traditional yes. scottish coos. yes that's <laughs> correct and we did get to see some of those while we were there as well oh fantastic i want to next time we go i want to rent a car too and just drive around the whole country because we didn't get to see a lot yeah. of the country uh, yeah i think it's really good to do that because you really get a feel of the layout i mean obviously scotland in comparison to um you know other countries of the world is really 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 very small but there's so much 
countryside and there's so much greenery. And one of the interesting things about Edinburgh is you've got the sea on one side of the city and then you've got these enormous hills on the other side called the Pentland Hills. And that's 25,000 acres of green walking hills. And to have that with such an ancient city all on your doorstep is really, really unusual. It is Edinburgh, ridingofthemarches.com. Thanks a bunch, Sam, for joining us again. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. Statelinetac.com is a place you can go for all of your uh, product needs, whether it's for your horse, yourself, your barn, whatever you need. And I was at Wieson Ada last week. We'll talk more about that on Friday. And I have a bunch of interviews of brand new products coming to the market that we'll play over the next couple of weeks. But uh, I happen to know that, you know, these guys, tack shops like Stateline Tack and a ton of others were there looking for new products that come out in the fall. And there are a lot of new products. It seems to be an innovator time in the horse world. But uh, if you want to find all the new and latest products for the fall, head on over to StatelineTack.com today. Uh, they have, uh, right now, they have some of their fly sheets because it's the end of fly sheet season. They have some of them on sale, so you can find different sizes and styles on sale right now up to 30 40% off. Uh, they want to get those out of there so they can bring in the blankets for the winter. I was checking out Weatherbeater Blankets, which they have at Stateline, and they have a whole new line of blankets coming out for the fall as well. So it is StatelineTAC.com. Coming up next, we have Susan Gary, who is an animal science agent with the University of Delaware Cooperative Extension. And apparently you guys talked about it a little bit yesterday. Uh, she, she got a horse that was trained by Ashley uh, during the Mustang makeover. We're going to talk to her a little about that and also taking care of the Mustangs. The next guest is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, non-GMO core nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages. Susan Gary is here. As I said, she is animal science agent with the University of Delaware Cooperative Extension, and who she became the second uh, University of Delaware staff member named as, is it a Nuffield? Nuffield? Nuffield. Nuffield? Nuffield. International Nuffield. Farming Scholar. What is a Nuffield International Farming Scholar? So, Glenn, I'm happy to be able to share that opportunity with your listeners. A Nuffield International Farming Scholar is um, someone who is engaged in agriculture, either as a, a producer, a primary producer of some kind of agri-food product, or someone who um, works in a professional capacity associated with agriculture. And I happen to tick both of those boxes. We do farm here at home and then through my extension job as well. And Nuffield is a capacity building program is probably the best way to describe it, both personal capacity as well as um, capacity of the agricultural industry across the globe to deal with what we call kind of wicked problems, those big issues that don't have one straightforward solution, um, things like food security or soil health, um, things like that. So uh, the Nuffield Scholarship Program, you apply for it, um, you interview, and if you are selected, it has three components associated with it. The first component is the Contemporary Scholars Conference, where you have the opportunity to get together with roughly 70 to 80 other like-minded people from across the globe from multiple countries, and that's usually a 10-day sort of very immersive experience where you listen to global leaders on a number of agricultural issues, 
and have time to get to know each other as a cohort of scholars. The second part is the Global Focus Program, which is uh, anywhere from four to six weeks um, that Nuffield puts together for you, uh, where you travel in small groups. Mine was, was nine, including myself, scholars from around the globe, and we traveled um, to places across the globe like the Czech Republic, um, Kenya, Qatar, the United States, Romania, and Bulgaria to be exposed to well, how cool was that? agriculture <laughs> around the globe. Yeah. Some of us like to describe it as um, survivor meets the amazing race with an <laughs> agricultural focus. So I couldn't tell you how many airports or flights and, and national airlines we flew on, but it was quite an eye-opening you, experience. You must am- I mean, you're meeting people like yourself from around the world, and they're all doing things a little bit differently. So how fascinating was that for you? It absolutely is. And they're all... Um, for the most part, really outgoing people. I thought I was an extrovert until I joined that group and, <laughs> and, and realized I needed some quiet time at night to, uh, to retreat to my room um, when possible. But it, it's, a, it's an incredible network of very forward-thinking people, um, and it's all about exchanging ideas and thoughts to solve. You start to find out that people across the globe in agriculture, regardless of your nationality, um, we share a lot of similar issues. They may be dressed a little bit differently, but we have a lot of the same challenges and issues. And so that um, network is just invaluable. And my program was in 2019 prior to COVID, but my my little global focus program group, we still keep in touch through our WhatsApp group and people are always throwing new ideas out there, articles they have read or things that are happening either on their own farms or within their own countries. Um, so it's it's really fascinating. And then the third part of it, the third component of the scholarship is your own individual study topic. And so um, when you get the scholarship, at least in the United States, you're awarded a $25,000, what they term a bursary. So that's sort of your scholarship money. And they take out of that the cost of that initial conference and the cost of your global focus program. And then what is left over, um, you can use to travel to study your individual study topic, which mine happened to focus around um, re- sort of integrating livestock back into cropping systems. So, you know, corn, soybean, small grain cropping systems for soil health, along with the use of cover crops. You know, right now, and this just comes to mind, what we're seeing here around Ocala, Florida, is, and I'm sure this is a worldwide problem, is we're just losing, we're losing farmland, whether it's for horses or cattle or whatever, right? We're losing farmland at a rapid rate around the world, and you can't get that back. No, and it's happening all over the globe, like you said. And in some places, like the Netherlands, it's happening because of um, concerns over the environment as well. So the government is starting to really regulate where food can be grown in some countries and where it can't. Um, so that's that's a challenge as well. Well, then I'm glad there's people like you out there doing this because it needs to be done or, or we're all going to have a problem in the future. Um, and you kind of won like the Oscars without the $200,000 gift bag. Um. <laughs> <laughs> of, of useless stuff. You got useful stuff, so that was good. Yes, 
Speaking of yeah. useful stuff, you do have a, your own little place. And, th- you know, another reason I have you on today is to talk about Ashley, who, of course, has been filling in for me while we're dealing with hurricanes here. Um, she did a horse in the Mustang makeover, and you ended up with it, right? That I did. I sure did so, end up with so, so tell us about the horse. So Silky herself, at the time, um, she was a, a four-year-old um, bay Mustang. She is from, I don't know what Ashley's told you so far, but she is from the South Steens uh, Horse Management Area. So that's the high, high desert of Oregon. So high altitude in the mountains, but very dry. Um, and that particular Mustang herd is pretty well known for confirmation and for colors. Now, Sookie's not flashy mark. She's, she's a bay mare, but really well put together little bay mare. And um, Sookie was trained by Ashley, like you said, and then Ashley competed with her at the Extreme Mustang Makeover, which was at that time that competition in our region was held in New Jersey. So about an two hours north of where I live in central kind of coastal Delaware. Um, I had watched the documentary Wild Horse, Wild Ride, which you may or may not be familiar with, but that would be something enjoyable for your viewers. Um, It follows several trainers in their quest to gentle and train a Mustang for competition. And uh, my story is a little bit different in that I (laughs) – I knew a little bit of what I was getting into. Um, (laughs) I I had always owned domestic horses, but as a child, when I was in high school, my riding instructor owned a Mustang and my off track thoroughbred at the time got injured and I couldn't ride her in my lessons. So I started riding my trainers or lesson teachers Mustang. And I found it to be a really fun horse to ride. It was, he was short and stocky, bit drafty from my memory but we were doing some small jumps and things in the, at that stage, and, and he was a lot of fun. Um, and then early on in my career, before I had children, I adopted a Mustang. And um, he actually uh, eventually lost sight from, from cataracts. So I had kind of been without a primary riding horse at that stage in my life for a while. My off-track thoroughbred was 30 years old and semi-retired here in the field, not really doing anything. And I had had children in the interim and we decided to go watch the competition. And I kind of fell in love with that one particular horse. Uh, If you know, Ashley, um, Sookie was all done up for her freestyle competition with a red feather boa in her mane. (laughs) 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 Fitting, right? Yep. And, um, you know, now on the backside, I know how fitting that is, but, uh, but I thought if that horse can put up with that (laughs) (laughs) in her mane and this situation, I'm, I'm kind of interested in her and she was put together really, really well confirmationally. So um, just between us and I work with Ashley, obviously. Um, so was she, was she well, was she trained well when you got her home or did Ashley totally mess it up? No, she was pretty well trained. I mean, she's still, you know, at 120 days, they're still green broke. Right. Um, And it's not possible to expose them to every potential situation that they will ever encounter. You know, at that stage, we uh, live on a mixed 
livestock farm. So we have horses, but in addition to that, my kids show pigs through 4-H and through the National Junior Swine Association. And uh, we have sheep here as well and a few steers. And so I can tell you that Sookie had not been exposed to pigs. (laughs) (laughs) They smell funny. (laughs) They do smell funny. And you have to actually walk past their housing here on our farm to get in and out of our our riding area, our main paddock and our access to all of our fields. So she had to get over that pretty quickly, but it was uh, very apparent initially that she was not, had not been exposed to pigs, but (laughs) But she's been a good horse for us, and I've done a lot of things with her over the years. And that, you know, you're a horse person too. Yeah, what so kind you of know, riding have you done? You're what have you, to them. Yeah, what have you done with her? Um, mostly like ranch type riding. Um, I grew up riding English and showing hunt seat, and kind of later in life switched to western. Um, encountered a couple of couple of good cowboys along the way in my later years here that really focus on good horsemanship. And that was where my interests lay now more so than competition or riding pretty. It's more for me about how do I get inside that horse's head and work with them properly and um, use my aids properly to, to teach the horse. So I've done a lot more like ranch style obstacles, um, horsemanship type things. Which is one of the fastest growing uh, sports out there right now. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I've learned that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's grown big. Well, this is. We have a ranch riding association around here, ICRA, East Coast Ranch Riding Association. So. So what would you tell. very popular. Somebody that's looking at uh, getting a Mustang, what would be your advice? From somebody who got Um, a Mustang who, you know, wasn't an expert at it. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges with the whole Mustang adoption thing, and not necessarily the Mustang makeover, because they come with some level of gentling and training, but um, every Mustang is different in my experience because we have we do have multiples here now. Um, so what works for one doesn't work for all. Uh, you may have one. I have one here that when she spooked, she always spooked in place during gentling versus we have another one that was very flighty and would try to climb the side of the round pen. Mm -hmm. So they all are very different. And so you really have to use your whole toolbox when you're working with them. But isn't that true really of any horse when you think about it? I I would, yes, I would absolutely agree with (laughs) that. I mean, my my hackney pony was a bolter, you know, so there you go. (laughs) Yeah. And I think um, some of those, those folks that have mentored both Ashley and I, um, they they say that, you know, once a Mustang's gentled, it's not really any different from any other domestic horse. I would just caution people. A lot of times they look at them as a cheap way to get a horse. Right. Yeah, um, that, that is the true. the adoption fees are minimal. Yeah, we've and, seen that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times people with less experience sometimes adopt them, which can, can be disastrous. Um and you and I both know that the real cost of a horse is the upkeep and the maintenance, not the initial purchase price. So um, that's something to really keep in mind. They're highly intelligent horses, I think, because of natural selection. So my very first Mustang, the one that I had before Ashley, um, we literally built our barn around him. 
<laughs> and we went through three different styles of stall latches before we figured out ones that he could not open. Um, Jamie had one of those morning. too. <laughs> we'd get out of anything. <laughs> yeah, we'd, yeah, we'd come out in the morning and everybody's out in the paddock and I'm going, we put them all in their yeah. stalls last night. Jamie How had a Mustang that was good at that too. <laughs> like... Yeah, so he was he was fun. Um, well, I, I, They're easy keepers. I think for the most part compared to some domestic horses, especially, you know, you think of an off track thoroughbred versus a Mustang. So a lot of times ration balancer is your friend in the feeding toolbox for a Mustang and just some good quality hay. Um, I think their feet are really durable for the most part. So some of those natural selection tendencies have really worked in their, in their favor. Well, I'm, I'm so glad this has worked out for you, and uh, it was very interesting hearing about the Newfield thing, too, and, and what's going on there, because it's so important for all of us in the entire world. Um, and, you know, thank you. For, you know, we don't recognize... Um, we don't recognize the cooperative extensions around the country enough. We probably should have more of you on. Uh, and a lot of people, I think, don't even realize they exist. Uh, but you will find them in, in many parts of the country. We had a really good one when we lived in central Pennsylvania. He was great. He'd come out and check our soil and, you know, do all the things that the cooperative extensions do. Um, but, you know, where can people find out more about that? Because that's something I think that horse people are not as aware of as, as – uh, either crop farmers or animal farmers are. Sure. And, and we often joke that extension is a, is the best kept secret. So um, cooperative extension is the outreach arm of land grant universities. And every state has in the United States has a land grant university. And so um, for the most part, there is an extension office in every single County across the United States with professionals that have expertise in all areas from agriculture to animals to even um, what we term now fa like family and consumer sciences. So like in our office, we have people doing classes on, you know, how do you cook for people with diabetes or with heart disease? Oh, um, okay. So from the animal side of things, um, you know, you mentioned it. I do a lot of pasture work, especially yeah, for horse owners. That's where we we um, had them out to tell us what our soil needed and, you know, to make the grass better and the whole thing. If we're growing hay, yeah, you know, the hay fields too. We, yeah, and we do a lot of weed ID. I've even done some scouting of properties for people that are thinking about buying a property and they want to know if it's suitable for this livestock operation or for horses or whatever. So um, you can find them. Across the country, in in every single county, there is a cooperative extension so office. Just search and, that, like we're in Marion County, Florida. Here, just search Marion County cooperative extension. Cooperative extension. Yeah. Right. Cool. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and Ashley's going to appreciate that you didn't throw her under the bus. Uh, she'll, <laughs> <laughs> she'll like that. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. All right, thanks, Susan. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. Dude, you know, there's always a theme in really bad ads, and there seemed to be a theme today for weird news of, like, y'all just send me some gross 
gross stories okay first of all the horse with all the teeth in his face no also the worm in the brain no i'm not doing those you guys they're gross (laughs) but i'm still gonna do some gross stories like the first one here but first i would like to thank all the people that did send me all of these disgusting stories to read (laughs) what is wrong with horse people oh my god y'all find it disgusting things so fascinating but i do too uh jolyn rosemary rebecca jennifer zoe charlotte laureen and amy all sent me uh stories glenn sent me one too so thanks to all of you for participating i can guarantee you i didn't send you the one with the gross uh, worms yeah, no. Me. And you know, what's terrible is like four people sent me this gross worm in the brain story. And then yesterday I was doing this show with Ashley. I got done. Chad's sitting next to me on the thing. And he's like, you're never going to believe what happened. There's a worm in this place. I was like, stop it. Stop telling me. He thought it was fascinating, but I did not. And I didn't want to no, hear that. No, I didn't he either. <laughs> insisted on telling me the whole thing anyway. And I just don't feel like it was no, no. Uh, okay, so this one's kind of gross. Uh, let's start with the suburban Detroit woman who was in her kitchen and she was making dinner. And do you ever get those big tubs of spinach, Glenn? Probably not no. because you don't eat things like that. <laughs> but the, some of us get those big tubs of spinach. And I just used one last night and read the story this morning and it will change my existence forever When I am doing something like this woman in suburban Detroit reached in to her giant container of spinach, grabbed an entire handful of spinach, pulled it out, set it in a bowl. Like you do. (laughs) Do you know what happened after that? There was a finger in there. A frog jumped (laughs) out of her bowl. There was a frog in the spinach. That's right. Earthbound Farm spinach package earlier this week bought from a mayor store. She got home. They found a live frog in the container and screamed. All it says, the only quote from I'm her I'm glad it was is, a frog and not somebody's finger or something like that. I mean, you can always get gross, but I am imagining, like, I just always grab a handful and, like, roll it in a ball and then chop it. Oh! I would die. I would never eat spinach again. That's I thought you were going to sure. say worms or something like that. I actually feel better about this one. (laughs) This is her quote. It was alive and moving. Yeah. Thank God I didn't eat the frog. This is why you don't eat anything green. (laughs) Okay. You know how I love police tweets and Facebook posts. Let's see if you can count the ridiculous, terrible puns in this story. This is from Marion County in Florida. Um, Bird That's our county, know. by the way. That's yeah, where I, I live. <laughs> I know. I can tell. I can see that. I, it's like literally your house in the background of this. Bird watchers unite. Can you identify this man? Please help us find this foul felon. This lively mask marauder stole $2,100 worth of homing pigeons from their home in Reddick. Luckily, a surveillance camera had a bird's eye view and his ruffled rumpus was caught on camera. Now we need you, our eagle-eyed readers, to help us identify this pigeon pirate. When we catch him, we can't tar and feather him, but we can make him the next jailbird to roost at the marion <laughs> county jail how many puns can you put in oh my god paragraph? it keeps i keeps going i can't even i can't anyway and who steals pigeons how do you steal homing pigeons they're just gonna go home <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a good point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, where'd they go? <laughs> All right, in Lake of the Woods, Minnesota, there is a young uh, 14-year-old boy. He's out fishing with his family while they're on vacation. And he he casts out in the water, the, the hook sinks, you know, and all of a sudden he feels something and he, you know, gives that sharp tug to pull and he's reeling in and he's, and he's fighting something. Oh, no. And he brings... Up to the water. No, this is not gross. Okay. Uh, I've, I've, I'm done with the gross <laughs> I stories. I was preparing. <laughs> <laughs> Dead body. Yeah. Comes up. <laughs> I was thinking a hand or a finger again. No, I'm no. not doing the gross ones, okay. Glenn, except right. for the frog because that looks too <laughs> close to my to me. Uh, anyway, so he, he he pulls. He says, he says, I thought I had a big fish and I set the hook really hard. And he continues to reel. He pulls, starts to pull it up. His cousin reaches in with a net. They were expecting walleye or a northern pike. What do they get in the thing? Somebody's wallet, Glenn. Wallet. And they open the wallet. And this is a 14-year-old boy. $2,000 cash was in this wallet. Well, they're like, what do we do with all this money? What they do, they go through all the wallet. They find who owns it. It was belonging to an Iowa farmer who was fishing in that uh, in that lake, not even near where they were. And he was sitting on the boat. The, the, the farmer, his name is Jim Denny. And his quote is, the water was awful rough. I was sitting on back at the back of the boat and there was rocking back and forth pretty good. And it just must have worked out of my pocket and slipped off into the water. He didn't know he. He said, I didn't know my wallet was gone until I went to pay the bill for the trip. I bet he didn't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) So they actually, he came all the way out and met uh, Connor, gave him a cash reward, which the teen declined. And so uh, they. a good kid. I know. He found the one good kid in town that was going to do that. I know he did give him a present after that since he wouldn't take the money. And uh, he said his comp, he said that he gave the young man, the ultimate compliment. I would take Connor for a grandson any day and I'd fight for him any day. (laughs) What a good story. That's a happy story. No frogs involved. No, one more. All right. All right. So if you're going to like, you know, do a crime, maybe try not to stand out. Okay. Like just maybe don't stand out in the crowd as somebody who has a unique something. Okay. Because there's a man who walked into a McDonald's and this is in Fairfax County, Virginia. Okay. He walks into the McDonald's and he's like, give me all your money. And he has a knife and he holds up and it, McDonald's with a knife stole what they say is an undisclosed amount of money and then left the McDonald's in a SUV, a Ford SUV. They have surveillance video and they feel like he's not going to be that hard to find. Why? Because he walked in there wearing a Hawaiian shirt, flip flops, a giant black cowboy hat. (laughs) And what was on top of the cowboy hat, Glenn? Uh, Not one, not two, but three giant parrots. (laughs) (laughs) Parrots. <laughs> <laughs> That's a look. <laughs> he there's surveillance footage of him at like four or five other stores, like not just like convenience stores. This weird guy who walks around with parrots on his cowboy hat, not little parrots, Glenn, 
giant parrots, like probably those one like like macaws, you know, like those. And they're literally riding on his cowboy hat. So if you are in the Fairfax County, Virginia area and you know the guy who walks around in a cowboy hat with three parrots on top, maybe call the Fairfax County <laughs> Police Department. They're looking for him. <laughs> You and I would do that, and the parrots would fly away, and we'd never see them again. You know what? I wouldn't rob a McDonald's at knife point, though. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> or if I was going to do that, I'd leave the parrots at home, so at least I could run away. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, where are you going to go The only quick thing that would have made this better is if he had gotten, uh, if he, in his escape, had ridden a tractor out of town. That's the only <laughs> thing that would have made that story better. Riding lawnmowers. Yeah, we riding have had lawnmower. runaway riding lawnmowers. <laughs> High-speed chases. <laughs> well, thank you to everybody who sent those in. Where do they send them if you, they have some more for next week? You can send them to Jamie at horseradionetwork.com. If you see a news story and you're like, that's super weird, email it to me with weird news in the subject line and I will use it. Now, I've got to cleanse my brain real quick, Glenn, because there's somebody I have to say something to. Okay. Um, I, I found it very inappropriate that this person came to me last night really being inappropriate, like like really was trying to get with me in my dream last night. <laughs> I was going to say it wasn't me. I don't know. And, um, and this person was really, and I was like, listen, I'm married. My husband is actually in the other room. I think you need to stop, you know, full court pressing. And they even did inappropriate things in my general area, and I would like to tell Brad Pitt that you need to stay <laughs> out of my bedroom. And that, literally, a dream. I woke up this morning. I was like, "Oh my god, Brad, that was so like." Wait, oh wait, that was a dream. Like that was a dream. I saw Brad Pitt's wiener in my dream. <laughs> Do you remember those dreams? You wake up and you're like, "Oh my god." Yeah, you think it was, was real? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, "Oh, Brad Pitt wasn't hitting well, that's me last one, night." Probably your husband doesn't have to wear your belt. <laughs> I haven't told him yet, but I'm gonna. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's, he was you're probably totally safe. Hitting on if me. it was somebody you knew, like from around, I wouldn't. But you're probably safe. With <laughs> I would like to say that I was faithful well, to my husband, even though it was Brad. It's got to be against his religion anyway. So I mean, you're safe. Why way. was I dreaming about Brad Pitt? <laughs> Did hey, you watch I, a movie? No, I didn't. I don't <laughs> oh, know what it was. I know why. You got a horse named Maverick. Oh, that's Tom Cruise. Oh, that's true. That's not even Brad Pitt. Yeah, you're confusing the two. Uh, I, there's no reason well, I should. Well, you watch now. About... Tom Cruise is showing up tonight in your dream. Oh God, <laughs> best dreams ever. I was like, Brad, put it away. Jesus, I'm married. <laughs> Hold on, auditors. <laughs> Maybe we should have told that story in the post show. Oh shoot! I shouldn't have done that. Sorry. <laughs> 